Hi, this is the podcast channel of Lighthouse Church in Ottawa, Canada. We are a family. We don't do life alone. We are about the one, each and every one. Thank you so much for tuning in today. Our hope and prayer is always for life change. Here is today's message. Be blessed as you listen. Welcome to church. God bless you. Amen. Song of Solomon, Song of Solomon, not Songs of Solomon, for those of you that have been saying songs like me, is the Song of Solomon, chapter 2 and verse 15. That's where we start off today, and then we will take our bearing from there as the Lord gives us grace. Very excited about this new series. Amen. Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verse 15. If you're watching online, this is the time that you share, right? Do we still do that? Yeah, you share share the link and all that stuff. Amen. So the Bible says, catch us the foxes. The little foxes that spoil the vines. For our vines have tender grapes. Catch us the foxes. The little foxes that spoil the vines. For our vines have tender grapes. Again, Holy Spirit, help us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. I know that, um, you know, if you read your Bible, there are certain things, certain aspects or verses from the Bible that have, have leaped, <laughs> that have leaped out of the Bible and have become colloquial sayings. There are things that people say that initially had their origin in the Bible. This is one of those things. You know, we say it's the little foxes. Have you ever heard that before? That it's the little foxes that spoil the vines, right? It's one of those things. By the way, before I go too far, on Thursday, the Lord said to tell someone that he needs you to start reading your Bible more because he needs to speak to you. Okay? I don't know who that is. If you're not reading your Bible, please read your Bible. There are different ways that God speaks to us. For some people, it's usually from Scripture. There's this person, and the person I'm speaking to, you know yourself clearly, because God has been pulling your heart into the scriptures. Read your Bible more. God wants to speak to you. All right. I, I digress. But the little foxes that spoil the vine. Um, and if you read the book of Song of Solomon, if you've ever read that book, when I first, when I first became a Christian and I read that book, I'm like, am, am I sure I'm still in the Bible? I'm like, this doesn't look like scripture. I was like, this guy that wrote this thing is a perv. <laughs> it turned out to be Solomon. <laughs> but the Bible says all scripture, all right, it is inspired by the Holy Spirit. And so you need to understand the book for what it is. To some people, it can be an allegory, right, where it speaks of the representation or relationship between Christ and his church, the bride, all right? The book talks about, it's a romantic book, that's what it's about. The entire thing is about my bride, my, my bae, my boo, not those terms, but you know what I mean, it's about my beloved and my beloved's this and my beloved's that, and he's describing the beloved in very graphic terms, right? But it's, 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 it could be allegorical in the sense that it's um, a representation of Christ and the church, and the relationship that we have with him. Um, but it could also be just a liter as literally, uh, literal as it is, like a poetic book. You can use it also for relationships. Um, Christians tend not to be very romantic people because they always live in heaven, so they forget that they live on the earth. But Song of Solomon is an amazing book. It speaks to how this guy is wooing the bride and the bride's heart. Why are you shaking your head? I'm not one of those Christians. I'm, I'm romantic. Anyways, you know, <laughs> speaks about his bride and, I mean, I mean, 
she speaks about her groom and how she's longing for the groom to come and all those other things and all that and all that stuff. But today, I want to approach it from a little bit of a, a typical point of view, all right, as a type, as a type. And I explain what I mean. In the Old Testament, you see types of Jesus or types of things that points to the New Testament. Type is just really a theological term that we use to say um, representations. I'll give you an example, the best way to explain it. So when you think about the story of the children of Israel leaving Egypt, and I've said this to you before, but I'll repeat it, that's a type of salvation. It's a, it's a, that's a type of salvation. Old Testament representation of salvation. How God saved us. When they crossed the Red Sea, it's an Old Testament representation of the baptism of a believer. All right? Um, when Moses, obviously, is a type of Jesus. Joseph is a type of Jesus in the Bible because he was betrayed by his own. He was sold, and he ended up saving everyone's lives. You know that, so you see types in the Bible all over the scriptures. And so you can see types in stories. You see it's in the story of Abraham and Isaac, where Isaac is a type of Christ, all right? The lamb, the only begotten son that was to be killed and all that stuff. So you need to understand how the Bible works. When you read the Old Testament, you're not just reading stories, even though there are a lot of stories there. You need to be able to find the New Testament in the Old Testament, and that's when you really understand the Bible. And so this is the Old Testament, Song of Solomon. This guy is talking, and he's saying, catch us, the foxes, the little foxes that spoil the vines, all right? But in John chapter 15, I'm bringing now the connection between this and the New Testament. In John chapter 15 and verse 1, Jesus is speaking, and he says, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. So this is where, this is where we're going. I am the true vine, my father is the vine dresser. Verse 2, he goes on to say, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. He is my father, of course. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it that it may bear more fruit. If you go to verse number five, he goes on again and he repeats. He says, I am the vine. This time he's not talking about the father being the vine dresser. He says, then you, you and I are the branches. And he who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. You understand that? So, let's talk about this guy who is saying that there are little foxes that need to be caught because the foxes are, <laughs> they're a threat to the vineyard, as it were. They are, they're, um, they're, they're not little puppies. And that's the dangerous thing about little foxes, is that a lot of times there are things that don't look like they can cause harm, but they're very dangerous. All right? They're not little puppies. They're not pets. They're little foxes. And the Bible says that they spoil the vineyard. Okay, so let's talk about the type. So in that story, think about the vine as Jesus, because Jesus is clear in John chapter 15. He says, I am the vine. That's the, the actual, the stem, as it were. Have you, ever, have you ever seen a vineyard before? Any of you? You've not gone to Niagara where you see a vineyard. Like you see them plant grapes and they use it usually for wine. Okay, yeah. Usually very orderly, very well kept. There's a difference between a vineyard and a, and a garden or an orchard and a forest. A vineyard is very deliberately planted by someone with the intent of getting the fruit, which is the grapes, for whatever reason, whether to produce um, wine or for something else, all right? So Jesus says, I am the vine. The father is the vine dresser. In other words, the father is the one who owns the vineyard, all right? He says, but you and I, we are the branches. Are you understanding the relationship now? All right, we're the branches. 
And on those branches, on every branch, there's something called fruit. Fruit. So there, there's tender grapes. You know, he was talking about the Song of Solomon, tender grapes. And um, there is another element in this vineyard called little foxes. All right. So let me explain the fruit and the little foxes. The fruit of the vineyard, vineyard, by the way, the vineyard is our relationship with Christ. So Christ is the vine. God, the Father, is the vine dresser. The vineyard is our relationship with Jesus Christ. You and I are the branches, and there is fruit. The fruit is basically the product of our relationship with God. The product of our relationship with God. And you can think about it in four different ways. The first thing you can think about is the fruits of the Spirit. Godly character. If you've been a Christian for some time, the expectation is that you're fruitful, not just in terms of other things, but that there's godly character create, you know, generated in you. That you used to be like this, and you're no longer like that. that. That has to be the testimony of every Christian, godly character, the fruits of the Spirit. Another representation of fruits in Scripture is that you win souls. People that you bring into the kingdom, that you are expanding the kingdom of God, then it means that you are fruitful. Fruit also means our works, the things that we do. So that's different from the fruits of the Spirit, because that has to speak with your character. But the fruit can be your works. Your works. So for me, for example, I'm serving here as a pastor. Okay? So God is finding fruit in my life. Hopefully, by the grace of God, that fruit is acceptable to him. Right? The fruit can be your works. And also, the fruit can be any kind of profit or gain that the kingdom of God derives from your relationship with Jesus. Do you understand that? Okay, I'm going to start out slow because I'm setting the foundation for the series. So there is a relationship we have with Jesus, which is called our vineyard. And the guy who wrote the book says that there are little foxes that intend to invade the vineyard. And the intention of those foxes is to take away our fruit. Is to make us <laughs> unprofitable, as it were, in our relationship with God. Is to make us irrelevant almost is to make our lives unproductive for God so he says you must catch the foxes you must be deliberate about catching the foxes because a vineyard is a productive initiative like I said a vineyard never appears by accident if you <laughs> it's it's deliberately planted watered kept all right you apply pesticides and all that other stuff and if you do all that and the vineyard starts to produce fruit just for you to ignore the little foxes that are strolling around the vineyard. He says that you will lose your harvest. And our relationship with God is like that. It's very deliberate. It has to be productive. But there are things that are little foxes that have the potential to spoil our relationship. That have the potential to make us unfruitful, unproductive in different ways and different aspects of our relationship with God. And so the little foxes, get this are the small things that can do big damage in our relationship with God. They are the small things. They're not called big foxes. They're called little foxes because there is a tendency for us to overlook them. There's a tendency for us to say, it's okay. They're the things we say God understands. They're the things that we've gotten so used to doing that we don't even get the conviction of the Holy Spirit anymore when we do them. Because what God understands. Or it's not a big deal. It's not a big deal. Little foxes are small things. Small things, little things here and there 
that can do big damage. When you see a little fox by itself, it looks like a little puppy. You're like, oh, so cute. But it's not cute at all when you realize that this is not a German Shepherd. This is a fox. They're little things. They look very harmless. They don't look threatening at all. Your first instinct when you see a little fox is not to run away, unless you're my wife, who's afraid of dogs, because they look like dogs. The, the first thing you do is you want to pet them. You want to keep them around. But they're dangerous. They're dangerous. I realize something in our walk with God, that you and I will never get to a point where we can determine for God what is a big deal and what is not. Do you understand what I'm saying? You guys are sleeping. Okay. Do you understand what I mean? You, you will never get to a point where you say, I know God very well now. I know this is not a big deal with God. No, you will never get to that point. By the way, you don't make that call. He does. It's not a relationship of equals. Even in a relationship of equals, in a marriage, you don't get to decide what is a big deal or not to your spouse until you realize or the person tells you that this is not a big deal to me. So you can get married and because, you know, <laughs> you were brought up a certain way, you take certain things for granted. And your wife or your husband is upset about the fact that you're pressing the toothpaste in the middle. Ha. Ah, <laughs> look, people have lost their homes for less. Don't press it in the middle. Okay, agree on where we press. <laughs> Where shall we press this toothpaste? Is it the end or is it the middle? Let's agree for once and for all. Once and for all. So you can come in there and just press the thing, leave it. And your wife comes and she says, I've married the terrorist. This doesn't make sense. And you're like, it's not a big deal. Well, you don't get to decide what is a big deal. No, if there are two people in a relationship, you don't, you don't make that call. And definitely not with God. When Moses was given an instruction from the Lord, God said to Moses, speak to the rock, and the rock is going to bring out water for the people. The people are thirsty, and they were murmuring against God and against Moses. Moses was so angry with the people, he smote the rock, and water came out. And as I read my Bible, I saw God's reaction to what Moses did. And God said to Moses, you will not enter the promised land. And I'm going, what? This is not right. This guy has been faithful all his days. God, this is not a big deal. But guess what? You and I don't get to determine what is a big deal and what's not a big deal for God. We don't. We're in a habit of doing it, but we are wrong. We're wrong. So my objective today and for the rest of the month is twofold. I'll put that up front. The first thing I hope to achieve is to sensitize you enough to subject your spiritual life to scrutiny and you can determine what the little foxes in your life, what they are. Does that make sense? That you go under a spiritual scan and let God and the Holy Spirit help you determine, find out, <laughs> convict you on the little foxes in your life, the things that you say, they're not a big deal, but have a potential to be very disastrous. Have a potential to be damaging. Remember that Jesus said in, that, in John chapter 15, he said, any branch that does not bear fruit, my father would cut it off. In other words, if you allow the little foxes in your vineyard 
and they steal the fruit and ruin the harvest. God is not looking at why you are unfruitful. God's not going to say, oh, it's because of the little foxes. It's fine. You really, really tried. <laughs> but, you know, you just didn't pay attention to the little foxes. He's looking for fruit. Simple. That's it. The circumstances are irrelevant. It's the reality that you have no fruit when the master has come. So my objective, like I said, is twofold. It's to sensitize you enough so you can scan your life with all honesty, with all transparency, and agree that these are the little foxes in my life. And to catch the little foxes, because that's what the guy said in Song of Solomon, catch the little foxes, catch them. My second objective is to call out some of the little foxes that God has laid on my heart to share with us over the next few weeks. Does that make sense? So I'm, I'm not, don't by any means, this is not an exhaustive list. This is just the ones that God has put upon my heart to share. So today I'll be talking about one little fox. Next week I'll talk about another one, which is worry and anxiety. Mm. Some of you are like, really? That's a fox? Oh yeah, worry and anxiety. And then I'll be talking about offense and unforgiveness. <laughs> I think, I, okay, the Lord will help us. Pray for me, pray for me. But before we go into the one I want to talk about today, what, why is this important? I mean, I, I started to touch on it a little bit as to the fact that God is looking for fruit. But why is it important that we talk about the little foxes? Because there are dangers when we don't deal with the little foxes in our lives. I can't go into all, but I can just tell you one danger. The one danger when you don't deal with little foxes in your life is that little foxes become big monsters. <laughs> Salah. Little foxes don't stay little forever. Yeah. They, they become big monsters. And... Um, the little foxes would harm the grapes. The big foxes would destroy the branch. Yeah. So when you see little foxes in your life and you don't catch them, they will feed on your grapes until they become big foxes. And at that point, they have capacity to snap the branch. To snap the branch. They grow to become big monsters. Think about a guy in the Bible called Judas. Iscariot. This guy was stealing money. A little change here. I'm broke this week, so he'll take money from the, from the purse. It's my birthday next week. I'm having a party. He'll take money from the purse. Little foxes. Then he goes on to the point where he takes 30 pieces of silver to betray Jesus. At that point, that little fox has become a big monster, costing his life, his place in destiny. Cost him everything. He never recovered. Because little foxes, when you do not catch them, will always become big monsters. Think about Samson. Samson was a guy that Jesus came to his mother. Because in the Old Testament, wherever you see the angel of the Lord with a capital A, it speaks to Jesus. Not, because you see angel with small a all over the Old Testament. Angel Gabriel, angel Michael, all these. You see all the other angels. The particular angel that came to Samson's parents before he was born, Manoah and his wife, was Jesus. Jesus appeared to them and said to them, you will have a child. 
He's going to be a deliverer of Israel. He's going to be a judge over my people. However, there is a rule of life that Samson must keep. He's going to be a Nazarene from his mother's womb to the day of his death. The Nazarene vow in the Old Testament, it's a temporary vow for most people. So you and I, I mean, just a regular person can take a Nazarene vow and say for like two years or three years, I'm going to be a Nazarite. And then there is a consecration in line with that vow. Number one, you cannot drink wine or anything that is re closely related, any alcoholic beverage at all. You cannot touch anything unclean. Those are the consecrations of a Nazarite. Anything dead, anything defiled, not touch. And you cannot shave your hair. And Samson was told... <laughs> God told his parents he would be a Nazareth all the days of his life, so he must not do those things. Samson came around, and this dude started to violate his consecrations. A little bit here, a little bit there. First time, he went and <laughs> he took honey from the carcass of a lion. Never touch anything unclean. He took the jawbone of an ass. touched it, used it to kill a thousand people. The spirit of God still moved. So he thought everything was okay. Because a lot of us, we think it's only when the spirit of God has left you that you have little foxes in your life. He was still doing everything like it was nothing. And all of a sudden, he did a bunch of different things. That guy was ridiculous. He met a harlot. He was living in immorality. Then, he got his hair chopped off. At that point, the little fox had become a big a big monster. Little foxes will always become big monsters. Especially if it is sin. Because not all little foxes are sin. But all little foxes have the potential to impact on your relationship with Christ. If this little fox is a sin in your life, let me assure you, it will grow. It will become a big monster. So any, give me an example of any sin. Rachel, any sin. What? Lying. Okay, so Rachel says she tells lies. I'm just, <laughs> that's not what she said. Lying. Okay, lying is a sin. Now, if you decide, I'm going to tell lies on Mondays and Wednesdays only. And you're like, what? Yeah, I, 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 I'm going to tell lies on Mondays and Wednesdays only. Little foxes. You can do that for a few months. When you do it consistently enough, you're going to realize now, what happens is that the script has been flipped, where you no longer have control over when you lie. You just lie. Because a lying spirit will come and help you lie very well. The, the, the character of sin, okay, and because sin has a character, has a personality. The personality and character of sin is that it always aims to enslave you to dominate your life. And that's why a lot of times people say, I, I just commit this sin, I'm going to stop next week. Have you tried that before? And good luck. Good luck stopping. I, I told you guys my story, and you guys laugh about, laugh about it all the time. When I first gave my heart to Jesus, when I did, I really gave my life to Christ. I was serious about God. And I said, never again, I will never go to a club until I see Jesus. Tell me why next week I was in the club. 
And I came out of the club. I said, Father, kill me. The next time, just kill me dead. I would never. I will. It took me like six months to break that habit. Why? Because sin has the capacity to enslave you. Willpower can never save you from sin. It has never saved anyone from sin. If you think it can, try it. Try it. So the things that you started casually that are sinful in nature, over time, they grow to become big monsters that have a grip on your soul. And you, you want to break free, but you can't because you didn't catch it when it was a little fox. So you either dominate sin or sin dominates you. There's no middle ground. And the only way you dominate sin is by abstaining from sin. If you can say, I will not, and by the way, it's different for everyone. For some of us, it's lying. For some of you, it's something else. And in our lives, we need to identify where is that area of struggle. Because if you don't deal with it, ultimately, it will mess you up. It will affect your relationship with God. They become big monsters. Think about Saul in the Bible. Saul was a guy who started to disobey God. Partial obedience, that was his little fox. Samson tells him, or Samuel rather, tells him, wait for me, I'll come and I'll sacrifice. Saul goes on, offers a sacrifice, and he has an excuse. That's the thing about little foxes, we always justify them. The people were scattered away from me. It was, I was panicked. Okay. <laughs> the next time, God tells him, go to Amalek, destroy everybody, all the cattle, everything. He does that, and he saves all the cattle. And he says, I've brought them as an offering to the Lord. And Samuel said, is that what I asked you to do? Partial obedience. At the end, he ends up consulting with a witch, a diviner, or a medium, more accurately. And that cost him his life. Little foxes would always become big monsters. Something you start as a small habit eventually will become a bigger problem. The first time that someone, you know, had access to a controlled substance or a drug might not be the first day they get hooked on it, right? But do it long enough, then its grip on your soul becomes a deliverance issue. Why? Because sin is supported by demons. That's how sin, every sin has demons. So immorality, there's a spirit of lust. Um, lying, there are lying spirits. Covetousness, there's the spirit of covetousness. That's why. So the, the little fox I want to talk about today, in the brevity of time that I have left, is idolatry. Idolatry. And all of you are like, Pastor, you need to go to another church and talk about this. That doesn't, that doesn't, that doesn't matter here. We don't, we don't do that here. We don't do that here. We're all good. But let, let me be the first to confess to you that when I started going through this and the Holy Spirit started to deal on the topic with me, I was the first to repent of my idolatrous ways. Okay? Exodus chapter 20, verse 3, when God starts to give Israel, track with me now, the Ten Commandments and the laws pretty much. Because Israel was never a nation. God met them in Egypt and he took them out of Egypt. And God said, well, before I take you to the promised land, let me draw the boundaries of our relationship. 
These are the things we must not do. This is the way you interact with me if you're going to deal with me. These are my laws. And he gives them 10 commandments. Exodus 20 from verse 3. The first commandment, the Bible says, you shall have, can we read that together? You shall have what? Can you read it like you're born again? You can have what? No. The message version says, no other gods, only me, period. You shall have no other gods before me. That's the first commandment. The second commandment is you shall not bow down or make for yourself any carved image. Verse 4. You shall not make for yourself, must not, an idol of any kind or an image of anything in the heavens or in the earth. So don't make something. And this is what we think about most times when we think about idolatry. That I don't have any statue under my bed. I don't have anything in my closet with candles. So I serve the one and true living God. True. But there are different forms of idolatry. So God says, commandment number one, do not commit idolatry. Commandment number two, do not commit idolatry. Okay. Do you know that commandment number ten is also about idolatry. The Bible says you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, your neighbor's property, his slaves or manservant, and something like that, and so on and so forth. The reason why I say that is because in Colossians chapter 3, verse 5, Scripture tells us that covetousness is idolatry. So, commandment 1, commandment 2, and commandment 10. 3 out of 10 deal with idolatry. That tells you and I that it's a serious issue. That tells you and I that whenever God repeats himself, it's not because he's a flippant or talkative. It's because he's suggesting to us that we need to pay attention to what he's saying. Because, because there is a tendency for you to fall into idolatry without even knowing that you're in idolatry. And I'm not talking about by accident consulting with mediums or all that stuff. I'm not even talking about your... <laughs> Where's taller? Your horoscopes. I know that other jazz. Or you're going to see a psychic, you know, in a basement in Ottawa somewhere. Listen to me. Please. You know what? I don't have time to deal with that. God will help you. <laughs> or, you know, someone sent you, someone called you, said, um, send me a piece of clothing. I have a prophet. Prophet. The prophet that needs a piece of clothing from your body to divine for you and tell you your future. Please run from all those things. Okay, please. But I'm not even going there today. I don't have time for that. So, 1, 2, and, th and 10 are about idolatry. 3 out of 10. That's a serious matter. You know why idolatry, idolatry is... Listen, think about this. Let's assume that I am like worth $100 billion. Just assume. It's not true. Yet. But let's assume that I'm worth $100 billion. Not me. Let's use somebody neutral. A guy is worth $100 billion. And this guy is tall. He is ripped, but not too muscular. Because apparently women, they want you to be ripped, but not jacked. There's a difference, apparently. He has a nice smile, straight teeth. Very kind. Some of you are like, oh, where is he? Very romantic. You know, he says all the right things. He's perfect. He's a dream man. And he's loaded. What is wrong with book? Anyways. <laughs> he's all that. 
any, any, you know, <laughs> I don't see anybody that says they're praying for a husband. I, say, I want my husband to not have straight teeth. I want him to be crooked. You know, you want the, the things that you generally want in a person. You might end up with somebody else, but this guy is everything. From a good family, his mom is nice, so you will not have any more than a lot of problems. Hallelujah. <laughs> so this guy wants to get married, and he goes not to his family friends who are of the same caliber. He goes to a dingy neighborhood somewhere, picks up a woman who's on crack, and she's a harlot. Crack is a bad drug. That's not a rich people drug. That's a, that's a terrible one. All messed up, has some STDs, sick, scrawny looking thing. And he says, this is the bride I choose. I pick you. Takes that person, cleans the person up, puts them puts, you know, in rehab, treatment, all that stuff. With time, that person gains life back. The brilliance of that person, the radiance starts to show forth. And he brings the person home, tells all his domestic staff to his mansion, obviously, with a view. This is my wife. She's in charge of this house. Treat her like you would treat me. Now, that woman had a boyfriend when she was in the dingy place that was a, an ex-boyfriend, another drug, drug addict or something. <laughs> and she starts to cheat on that husband with that one. You know, yeah, exactly. Hmm. They're like, what is wrong with you? Why would you do such a thing? Starts to spend this guy's resources to travel back to that dingy place that they used to be to spend time with his boyfriend. He said, this is the one that my soul loves. That's how idolatry looks to God. He had no business with us. He's all right by himself. You see, I know you don't feel like you, you're that drug addict, sickly, diseased, riddled, drug addled person. But to God, you're worse than that. Yeah, to us, because we're all bad. We don't see ourselves that way. So you think, I'm better than this person. I'm worth, I'm worth a few things. But in the state that God picked you, you were worse than that. And so idolatry, as far as God is concerned, is very offensive. It grieves his soul. That's why he says, I'm a jealous God. Because this guy, he's every man's dream. He pours all his love on this one person. And the one person he wants to love him back, chooses to love somebody else. God is like, I don't understand this. I don't get it. I don't get it. Idolatry is a little fox because it is subtle. In our world, it is very subtle, but it's very common. That's why it's a little fox. And so, how do you know? How do you know that you have an idolatry issue? It's going to get real quick now. The first question I'll ask you is, what do you love the most? Don't lie, because all of you are saying, Jesus is my love. No, no. Don't, don't, see, <laughs> let's be honest with ourselves, okay? That's how God can help us. What do you love the most?
Is it your job? Is it your children? Is it your spouse? She told her husband, I love you the most. <laughs> the guy's like, please don't put me in trouble though. Love God more. What do you love the most? Be honest with yourself. Think about it. Is it money? One of the reasons why Abraham is so great in the kingdom of God is because children can very easily become your idol. And Abraham proved to God that you first, everything else second. He was ready to sacrifice his only son, well, the one he loved, Isaac. Don't tell me, what do you love the most? If it's not Jesus, you need to check yourself into that hospital that I check myself in during the week to say, God, have mercy on me. What do you love the most? What do you spend on the most? Because the Bible says that where your heart is, that's where your treasure will be. It's a simple test. If I took your bank statement for the year, 12 months in a year, and I went through all your transactions, <laughs> will I be able to conclude without knowing you that this person loves Jesus? Do you understand what I'm saying? If I looked at your transactions and the description. So here I see um, BFS weeks. <laughs> then I see Mac makeup. Okay, good. Then I see chat time. Every week. <laughs> Every week, or Chinese food every week, whatever. Can I come to a conclusion about the person and say, this person loves Jesus based on how they spend their resources? And it's not just your, your money, it's your time, your skills. It's going to get real. Just hold on. What do you think about the most? And the Holy Spirit spoke to me about this one clearly, that for some people, your God is your problem. Yeah. Your problems, because that's what you think about the most. You obsess over the problems in your life. When God assesses your, you know, your thought life, it's, it's completely overtaken by thoughts of, of your problem, not him. What do you think about the most? For some of you, your God is an idea, a vision, a business. Some of you, it's marriage, an idea. What do you think about the most? Go ask yourself these questions. What do you place your trust in? That's where it started to get deep for me. That's how you know if you have another God. What do you place your trust in? Is your trust in your savings account? Is your trust in your good looks? <clears throat> Is your trust in your intellect? I'm smart. So I know I'll be fine. What do you place your trust in? Is your trust in your parents? What is the thing you place your trust in? Because the thing you place your trust in is a God to you. When things happen in your life, if you're not looking to talk to God first about the issue, where you go first might be a God to you because you place your trust in something that is not God. 
about to get bloody. Where do you seek validation from? What gives you validation? A lot of guys, validation is in our careers or your bank account. When your bank account is healthy, you're in a good mood. When your account is looking funny, you're mad. You're pissed off at everybody, road rage. Everybody, you're just, you're just not, your validation is coming from something that is not God. It's your validation coming from social media. You post a picture and you get a million likes and you're very happy. Don't lie. All of us like, don't, don't lie, please. Let's be honest. We're in church, okay? Your faces are not on camera. Only my face is on camera. And I admit to my own issues. You're happy. A million likes? Wow. But then God dislikes the picture. Ah. Will you take it down for one dislike? If God had an Instagram account and he goes dislike. I think they've taken that thing off Instagram. I don't even know. But hate. I hate. Or comment. I hate this picture. God. God. <laughs> Signed by God. I, I hate this picture you've put up. And you have a million likes. Will you take it down? Never. Forget it. God, like the next one. <laughs> but this one is good for my profile. Where do we get our value? What validates you? What makes you happy? What God says about you is what matters the most. And he says, you're okay. He says, I want you. I choose you. I pick you. Where do you get your sense of identity from? If it's not God, that thing is an idol. For some of us, it might be our spouses. I think for, for women, um, pay attention. I'm not taking shots at you, by the way. It's just generally. Women like to be appreciated. And that's a good thing. Please, husbands, appreciate your wives. You have to do that. You better do that. But if you're all moody because someone forgot to acknowledge that you look good today, you, have, you might have a, a problem. God says, I'm the one who will validate you. What I say about you is the loudest thing that should ring in your ears over what everybody else says. What has the final word in your life? Is it doctors? Is it your friends that advise you? Or is it God? Whose report do you believe more than God's? What has the final word? Or who has the final word in your life? If God has not spoken, everybody's opinion is valid until God speaks then everybody's opinion is no longer valid. That's the truth. He always has the final word. What is at the center of your life? Because everything, everybody has something at the center. That's the thing you put in the middle and you build your life around. You adjust everything else to fit that thing. That can be a God if it's not Jesus. What is at the center? I said to us a few months back that Jesus is the center and the circumference. He's both the yoke and the shell of the egg. What's at the center of your life? 
First John chapter 5 and verse 21. The Bible says, little children, keep yourself from idols. Keep yourselves from idols. Amen. But in the NLT version, it says it better. It says, dear children, keep away, listen, from anything that might take God's place in your hearts. Anything that might take the, there is a place that God must occupy and it's first in your heart. And so we can even do the most spiritual things in an idolatrous way. So I'm a preacher, for example, by the grace of God. I can teach and do it not to glorify God, but for the applause of men. And even though you're doing something that looks very spiritual, your idol really is the people. Anything that takes God's place in your heart becomes an idol. The Bible says, therefore, eat and drink whatever you do. Do all of them to the glory of God. So what we need to do is we need to readjust our priorities. We need to make adjustments and make sure that Jesus is front and center. And by the way, I did not say that church is front and center because church is not your relationship with Jesus. I'm talking about your relationship with him is front and center. You can be in church and not have a relationship with God. If you have a relationship with God, you will definitely be in church. But you can be in church and not have a relationship with God. So readjust your priorities. Put Jesus where he needs to be, which is at the center of everything. One of the dangers of idolatry, one, is this. Is that when you place other gods in your life, there are many dangers. This is just one. That God becomes a target for God. Okay, you don't understand what I'm trying to say. Um, if you put your trust in something, and this thing has become an idol to you, if God wants to help you, if he wants to help you, okay, if he wants to help you, <laughs> he will cause that thing to disappoint you. So that you can, you now say, God, you, only you I love is you and nobody else. Because, because if he doesn't do that, after a while, that little fox will become a big monster. It will drag you away from God. It will drag you away from him. And so in First Samuel chapter 5, I'll paraphrase the story and we'll pray in a second. From verse 2, the Bible says something very, very interesting. That the Philistines... Capture the ark of God. The ark of God is a, is a symbol of God, was a symbol of God to the Jewish nation, to the people of Israel. And when they captured the ark of God, they did something very, very unwise. They took the ark of God to the house of Dagon, which was their idol, the god of the Philistines, was called Dagon. And they set the ark of God side by side with this idol. Apparently, by description, it appears that they had a big statue of Dagon in that temple. <laughs> and the Bible says when they came in the morning, they saw Dagon face down before the ark of the Lord. When the people of Ashdod arose early in the morning, there was Dagon, their God, 
face, face flat before the ark of the Lord. They took that one. They didn't learn. And they set him in its place again. If you go on further, you realize that the second time he broke into pieces, he fell and shattered. And so when you set other gods beside God in your life, what you're going to do is you're going to put those things at risk. And most times they're things you care about deeply. So when you put your career before God and you tell God, I, my confidence of a better tomorrow is in this career, what you've just done unwittingly is that you've put the most dear thing to you in jeopardy. So, the best way to love anything you love is to make sure you don't love them more than God. What I've just said, what I've just said is very important. The best way to show love to anything you love in the world is to make sure that you don't love them more than God. And so when you get married, for example, those of you who are still single, you, you're still blessed. So when you meet someone, let the person know, I would never love you more than I love Jesus. And the person like, oh, that hurts my feelings. Tell, it's probably a guy that would say something like that. That hurts my feelings. Tell them it's for your own good. It's for your own good. Catch the little foxes. Can you tell your neighbor, catch the little foxes? Tell them, catch the foxes. Catch the foxes. Before they become big monsters. It's Jesus first. It's only Jesus. We're exclusive official we're not talking we're not talking we're just talking pastor we're just getting to know each other we're just dating we're not dating no. we have it we're exclusive and we are what we're Instagram official <laughs> me and Jesus forever and ever and ever catch the foxes has God spoken to you at all Find the gods quickly. Realign your priorities. It will take time and it will take effort. But you must pray about it also and ask God to help you. If there's anything in my life that I put above you, Lord, reorganize, re realign me. Let me put you first. And always remind me whenever I put something else before you. Always remind me because little foxes will end up becoming big monsters. Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure you subscribe to our podcast channel. If you want to be a blessing to others, share the message. To stay connected, download our app and follow us on Instagram at Lighthouse Church Ottawa. We love you.